RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Renee van der Weyver is a spokesperson for Afri Forum Youth and a proud Afrikaner. And we are chatting with Renee on the program this morning because we're interested to hear her perspective on what's been happening in South Africa recently. We've all heard news stories of power problems, white farmers being, well, terrorized, so on and so forth over the past few years, and what people are trying to do about it. Of course, New Zealand and South Africa have had a relationship uh, mainly through sport historically for a long time, and there have been some issues along the way with sports tours. Nelson Mandela, of course, he visited here, and the, the apartheid uh, regime falling. We've all we've tracked that here in New Zealand as well. So, Rene, welcome to our program. Thanks for coming on and giving us some time. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for the opportunity to speak out, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Can I ask you first, where where are you located in South Africa, just so our listeners can kind of get a fix on where you are? Currently, I am in Potschafstruim, um, that is in the northwest province. And um, yes, South Africa is quite a, a big country. So um, from from the tip of the north to the south is uh, over 2,000 kilometers. So um, yeah, I'm more at the top part in the northwest province. Okay, so what is, big question to start with, what is life like for you um, at the moment? And you look to be, what, in your 30s? Am I accurate there with with your age i'm yeah in my in my 20s but close close enough okay. to 30 getting close um, yeah yeah, yeah, so, yeah. and yeah so sorry. you've come along since that time i mentioned because what i remember is the sports tours the protests nelson mandela being released nelson mandela coming and visiting the country he was treated like a god and so on and so forth and the wonderful story that we heard from here of apartheid being you know um um, expelled um, from history, etc. So fast forward to now, what's life like in South Africa for someone like you? Yes, thank you, Paul. And um, I, I think I should start off by mentioning that I was born after all of that that you just mentioned. I was born in 1997, so that's years after apartheid ended. So um, for me, I I hear about it quite often. Obviously, it's being used as the scapegoat for everything that goes wrong still today, even though I've only experienced the opposite. It. Um, they call it reversed racism, but I um, I think that it does not exist something like that. It's just racism and it just um, is wrong no matter which side it goes to. So um, uh, unfortunately, I've experienced the, uh, the, the opposite afterwards that you just mentioned and um, what life is like. I think Afrikaners is very resilient people so um, we're definitely not sitting here and uh, crying in the corner we are busy to adapt we're busy to um, make our own solutions for the unique problems and we're busy to especially at afri forum which i'm part of the civil rights organization um, we really advocate for being state proof since the state, everything they touch just seems to um, fall apart. So we we strive to be state proof and try mm. to then 
through the strength of communities to create our own solutions. So I, we're not sitting in a corner crying, but there is a lot of challenges. That is something that we can't um, hide from or, or we can't ignore it. I mean, I'm sitting here without electricity at this moment for four hours oh um, since six o'clock this morning till 10 o'clock and it's now nine o'clock. So I'm sitting here without electricity and then at two o'clock the electricity will go off again um, that's just one example of um, yeah the immense corruption and the the state that just everything they touch seems to fall apart so they they have a monopoly of electricity providing electricity and that is one challenge we face and and it's severe it's not just uncomfortable for me who can't do the washing or who can't um, warm up some food to eat it's it's a huge huge challenge economically obviously um but except for that our crime our crime is is very high and um yeah we have to find our own solutions for all of that problems we face discrimination um, in the workplace, um, when you are looking to study, when you are looking to take part in sport teams. So there's a lot of challenges. So it's overt, is it? It's pretty clear that that you call reverse racism, but racism is racism no matter which way it's going. So it's in your face. It's overt. Yes, no, definitely. I mean, it's not even something... That's what's so frustrating to me. It's not even something that people try to hide or try to um, cover up because it's wrong. They just think it's not wrong. So it's actually called all this nice words like transformation and um, equality and inclusivity, etc. All those nice words, but actually it's, it's always used in the same sentence as, okay, so for example, the university is inclusive, and that is why people will be admitted on the basis of their skin color. So it doesn't make any sense. Um, it's actually the op opposite, but it's it's used and it's portrayed in the media and in everyday life as if it is the right way. And when you speak up about it or when you call it what it is, racism, then you are being racist. <laughs> so, yeah, it's in our face every day. So is this kind of like a woke culture war? It's, and because it's going on in all countries to varying degrees. Is this your version of of the woke culture war with the backdrop yeah. of that history that you have intensifying it, let's say? Yes, yes. I think you, you, you can call it that um, because, I mean, people of all different parts of society support this idea, no matter what your skin color, people that looks like me also supports this idea. And think, Yeah, um, how, um, did, how, how does that happen? How how do you explain that um, that that people who are having racism projected towards them can somehow is it like a Stockholm syndrome where they kind of end up supporting that against their own best interests perhaps? Yes, I I don't understand it at all. I think I I think they they probably think that they'll be benefited or um, protected from this discrimination in some way, but um, it's very selfish. To be honest, because um, in the in the broader spectrum, it affects everybody, everybody negatively. I mean, if you uh, that's what's happening now at, at, in the state entities as well. If you 
literally retrench people just because they look like me and you. Um, and they actually have the right qualifications to keep the lights on, to keep electricity, but you retrench a whole lot of them because they have a white skin color and you, you put people in that positions just because they have the desired skin color, but they're not, um, competent to do the job then it negatively impacts everyone no matter who you are if you are a small business owner no matter what color your skin or um it's uh it's a disastrous situation that you don't have electricity for up to 12 hours per day um so yeah unfortunately it affects everybody negatively and people who tries to um think it's this pretty ideal way of Dealing with things, I think they're just under a great misperception. Okay. Do you live in fear? I do not. Um, I do not live in fear because I am a Christian and I trust that that God will protect me. And I think that is what's keeping a lot of Afrikaners still standing strong in this country um, is really our, our strong belief. That, that God planted us here and we are here for a reason and and we will be here until he determines otherwise. So, no, I do not live in fear. I'm very thankful for that. I do not have a spirit of fear. But um, I think if you do not uh, live close to God, then you will definitely live in fear because everything is there for you to see, to make you scared. I mean, electrified fences everywhere. And um, I mean, every single um, neighborhood at this moment almost have their own um, t- kind of neighborhood watch and cameras and everything. It's, um, you know, and you see all this crime in the news. So you are aware of everything. But um, for me, myself, I can say I do not live in fear, but I think it is different for um, for a lot of people. And I, I also think, um, oh, I can say that when I am on a farm, it also is a bit different. I then Try to not live in fear, but you are aware of all the um, threats that comes with it. We hear quite a bit about that, and that's why I asked you if you live in fear. Um, obviously, um, there have been some horrific crimes uh, involving, well, everyone, but uh, white farmers in South Africa. Why are they targeted? Yeah, crime? so that is. Yes, yes. So <laughs> farm attacks and farm murders are a huge crisis. We've had almost um, 200 farm attacks already in this year. And I think the problem with this is that it's being incited by politicians. I mean, the third largest political party, the EFF or Economic Freedom Fighters, literally has a chant. They sing, um, kill the boor, kill the farmer. Um, So just to explain, me as Afrikaner can also refer to myself as a boor. because it's just the Afrikaans version of farmer, um, but because Afrikaans history is so um, weaved with being farmers, um, a lot of people refer to us just as boers or bure. So um, just to explain that kill the boer, kill the farmer is aimed at Afrikaners. And um, yes, they chant this song and um they literally incite violence through this. And I think that is also why it's a, a huge problem. And then obviously it's the crime is out of control in South Africa everywhere. The South African Police Service admitted a few years ago that they do not have, they lost control over the crime situation in South Africa. And on farms, it's even um, more challenging or difficult because people live far from each other. Um, they're a bit isolated. 
But I, of course, think that this is, this is often hate crimes. It's not just normal crimes. I can name a few things that what makes it unique. So firstly, it's the abnormal high amounts of violence and torture that, that goes along with this form of attacks. Um, there's often racist comments made during these attacks. Um, for example, just um, last week, there was a couple attacked on their farm. And while this um, woman was severely tortured, the people chanted, kill the boor, kill the farmer. Um, so they were busy to beat her with a bolt cutter and lead pipes. They eventually stabbed her with a spear and all of this while singing, kill the boor, kill the farmer. So um, you know, there's often racist comments made during these attacks. And it's also the only crime in South Africa that are being incited by politicians. I mean, you will never hear a politician say, um, kill women or let's do gender-based violence. Um, I mean, all this is despised as it should be. But for some reason, if you speak out about farm murders, if you want to raise awareness about this, you receive sick reactions from people of all different parts of society. I mean, um, there was this journalist, um, Richard Popluck, that made the sick joke on 2 August, uh, saying, making a tweet that said, what wine pays best with white genocide? I mean, this is this is sick and it said, well, this is just comic and whatever. But this followed after the EFF, that political party, after their 10th anniversary celebrations where the leader, Julius Malema, led the crowd of thousands of people to chant, kill the boor, kill the farmer. And there was actually an outrage about this and we were very thankful for that. Um, even Elon Musk tweeted to ask why the South African president does not do or say anything. So there was this huge outrage and Twitter storm about this. And that's when um, this sick joke also came to the front. What wine pays best with white genocide? So, um, yeah, that's a, that's a few points that, that makes this unique and makes this such a great concern to me as well. Okay. As a Christian, how do you explain this descent into the kind of things you're describing, uh, you know, chanting, you know, the killing of people, you know, um, journalists making those sorts of uh, comments, totally inappropriate, an ineffectual president, Ramaphosa, right? He's yeah. kind of not taking a leadership. It sounds like a moral, a moral decline, kind of a moral collapse, is it? Yes, I definitely think so. I mean, as I explained um, about the nice terminology being used to to explain racism, I think it's just an overall problem that um, that yeah that you're just covering up and you're just living in this in this fairy tale world. Actually, that you can. Um, I, I mean, the political climate is perfect for this type of things in South Africa. Um, the political climate is perfect to be racist, to have racist laws, more than 116 race laws in South Africa, and to pretend as if you are being the hero because of this racist laws. And then also the political climate is perfect for this guy, this clown, Julius Malema, to sing the song and chant the song and then to just think he's a hero. I mean, uh, the court found that this is not hate speech. How could it not be hate speech? How could it yeah, not be hate speech? That, the question asked. So Afri Forum took this guy to court 
saying that this is hate speech and the song should be banned because there's been people, former attackers, who has admitted that this song led them to killing people. And now he's saying, no, it's just a song. It doesn't actually have anything to do with killing people, whatever. And they found that this is not hate speech because it's a struggle song that comes out of apartheid. And um, But now your yeah, Afriforum was in court yesterday, actually, in the Supreme Court of Appeal to um, appeal against this, this statement that it is not hate speech. Because, I mean, as you asked, how can it not be hate speech? So we're seeing all these double standards. Um, that's shocking. I mean, a teacher can accidentally say something um, that just may sound to be a little bit racist. Actually, it's then a a quote or a, a, um, a statement that she reads and, and she'd be um, expelled from the school for being racist. Um, but then this guy can do this and it's not hate speech. So the courts aren't there with any sort of, I don't know, justice or power. They're, they're siding, are they? They're on the side of, mm-hmm. well, the woke, for want of a better term, are they? Yes, that is, um, that's a big, that's, that's what I'm worried about. I mean, I, I, uh, with my work at Afriforum Youth, we often want to go to court um, about, say, a top student, an academic achiever who's not admitted to study medical science because of his skin color and only that. Then we want to go to courts and then we, we won't be able to win in court because they actually had this thing to say, yes, it's discrimination, but is it is this discrimination okay or is this discrimination not okay? So there's actually discrimination that is okay, <laughs> um, according to them. So, yes, it is worrying, but we really do hope for the best um, with our appearance in court yesterday in the Supreme Court of Appeal that, that the truth will prevail, that it just will come out that this is hate speech. I mean, you can't, as anyone... Anyone who thinks it's not hate speech obviously has a very weird agenda. Well, I could just imagine what what would be said here if people started chanting in sports stadiums, kill the farmers. <laughs> I mean, that would not not last more than a moment, I'm telling you, you know, um, here. So yeah. anyway, just saying. Okay, so where is South Africa heading in that case? Do you think it's... Is it kind of doomed as it is currently? Yes, well, at this moment as it's going on, it's not looking good. And um, we have a national election coming up next year. So, of course, the governing party's um, campaign is just literally 30 years later, still revolving around, um, yes, but we um, we are not go- we are against apartheid and whatever. But I think most people can see, wow, 30 years later, after this new government, everything has collapsed. I mean, we have the highest youth unemployment rate of over 60%. Um, we have a government celebrating that 50% of the population is dependent on government grants. So I I like to believe that people's eyes are opening to see, that, well, this people is just um, going back to the past to try and, and get some votes. And actually, they have, they have caused so much damage the last 30 years. But um, working at Afriforum, we also believe that the 
the solution for South Africa does not lie in party politics. Um, you can't you can't rely on a political party to come and rescue you or whatever. You have to um, create your own solutions for the problems. So we're actually trying to um, to focus on more of a community federalism idea where communities just take take responsibility for their own things and for their own safety. That is why AfriForum has over 168 farm and neighborhood watches um, throughout the country. We have around 11,000 trained volunteers who serves on this farm and neighborhood watches. So we are really, um, we really believe in the power of communities taking hands and, and taking responsibility for their own safety, for their own schools, for their own environment. Um, because yeah, South Africa is a very large country and we have this people calling themselves the government who can't govern the country and um, they sit they sit at the tip of the country or at the bottom point of the country and they they have no idea what's actually going on. Um, so, yeah, I think like I don't I can't remember the exact stats, but from all the municipalities in South Africa, it's like a very low percentage of municipalities that can actually get a, a clean audit. All the municipalities are just corrupt and bankrupt, but with the people working there just earning a lot of money. And these ministers I'm talking about literally don't even experience this rolling blackouts that the rest of the South Africans should. They are the people who are causing this collapse of the electricity provider, but they don't have, they don't have, they are like, they don't have to endure this crisis. They are being, um, what do you call it? Sorry, uh, English is my second language. That's all right, you're doing fine. That. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, but they don't experience it. They get generators that's paid by the government and et cetera. So, yeah, it's actually ridiculous. Tell me about Arania. Is that um, some kind of special town? Yes, it is. Um, it is a special town. If you're going to Google it, and uh, Wikipedia will tell you uh, a lot of bad things, like it's an enclave, etc., or a lot of media. But it's it's starting to become more. Um, more people are becoming to, are starting to see deeper than that and to start to see what the Urania idea is. So I think the idea is actually more important than the physical town. But yes, it's an Afrikaner town who strives to do things differently from the rest of South Africa. So it's an Afrikaner cultural town. You have cultural towns in different parts of South Africa for different cultural groups, um, like a, a Zulu town, for example, where other people are not welcome. Um, so this is not a, a unique model, except that now, of course, it's, it's, it gets a lot of criticism, but it's a town that um, that's a homogeneous Afrikaner town, and um, they're there to preserve and to live out the Afrikaner culture. So everything is in Afrikaans. Um, everything is uh, revolving around our belief as Christians, and um, they have their own institutions that's built by themselves. And then the most important part of it for me, um, the uh, the most distinct part that that um, just separates it from the rest of South Africa, is that they do all their labor themselves. 
So they do not rely on any cheap labor or um, whatsoever. They do all their work themselves, um, built houses, everything themselves. And um, yes, that way they are still a homogeneous Afrikaner cultural town. Yeah, the description I saw was micro-nation, a micro-nation. <laughs> um, so that, that was that was what I saw. So that's... That that is talking to what or speaking to what you just described before, finding new ways of doing things that are untethered from the state, basically separating from the state, yes. not looking to the state for yes. anything, doing your own thing, right? Yes, definitely. So they um, they're also growing very very quickly um the the average age of the population is under 30 years old there's a lot of young people and it's a really um growing town who has their own, own schools and um yeah they they actually they also already had their own college so they're really growing and um they're not there to to be racist or to be um exclusive or to be excluding other people but they're actually there to just find a place where they are welcome because in the rest of South Africa we are marginalized I mean yeah our heritage is being destroyed they're breaking down our monuments and uh, uh, everything so we are a marginalized group that that feels unwelcome in our own country and um, in Waronia people come together and feel welcome there <laughs> Okay. Is there anything else that we need to know about the challenges you're facing as Afrikaners in South Africa today? Is there any hope, you know, with the main institutions of politics and justice and civil society that you think could uh, change at all? Or is this, in in the way you see it and, and others see it, this is the way life is going to be in South Africa? Well, maybe for your for your life. <laughs> yes, no, we're definitely not hope, hopeless. There's definitely not a hopelessness yeah. over Afrikaners in South Africa. That's why um, Afriforum actually advocates for hope, definitely, and to um, be positive about our country still. And that's why um, in the Afriforum forms part of the larger solid solidarity movement. And the solidarity movement built a private Afrikaans university. Um, they built a, a private um, Afrikaans college and um, we're really making plans and and developing to to have a future year in South Africa so we are definitely not going to settle for um, for this mess I, I trust that it's definitely going to be becoming better in the future and um, I think also important important for the listeners maybe not everybody is aware of the how far the Afrikaners history stretches back um, it dates back in time here in South Africa. About 400 so years, isn't it? It's about 400 years. Yeah, well, almost, yeah. Our forefathers, first forefathers came here in 1652. That's 371 years okay, ago. pretty close. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, to put it in perspective, it's 124 years before America was founded. There you go. So, yeah, I mean, today still... 
the people, the politicians say um, we should go back to Holland or we don't belong here. We can't, we're not allowed to call ourselves Africans, etc. But um, yeah, what will they say to all the Americans then? Are they not allowed to call themselves Americans? I mean, we've been here so long. Our, um, our Rene, we, we, we've got some commonality here because that's an issue here too. Because the uh, white settlers that came from, you know, the other side of the world, um, UK, Britain, settled here in the 1800s, early 1800s through. Um, uh, the indigenous Maori in New Zealand, many of them have the same attitude. You go home, get out. You're not from yeah. here. You, you know, you're five, six generations down the line. What are you going to do? So this seems to be yeah. happening with with its own local contexts, but in multiple places. Yes. No, that's um, – I'm sad to hear about that because it's it's – it's really not nice. I mean, I've never been to Holland. I <laughs> definitely do not want to go there. I do not belong there. I belong here. Um, uh, and your Afrikaners come from Dutch, German and French descent. We merged into one group of Afrikaners. Um, our history is weaved with farming, as I mentioned. Um, we came here as pioneers to discover vast open lands in South Africa to farm. Um, we, we started farming and now... I, I mean, there's farms that's been you know, in, that's been uh, farmed for eight generations or more, yeah, yeah. and then there's people. So that's one great challenge as well, and that's also I, I I believe that's also one of the challenges that causes these farm attacks. There's this politician saying and people believing that we stole the land. Yeah, they want it back, right? They want to take it they back from you. Back. Yeah. yeah. So we stole the land and um, there's actually, they want to make it, they want to sign this into law to have um, the expropriation of land without compensation. So that's what happened in Zimbabwe. Yes. Um, And and yes, so now there's all these people who, who's just fed all these lies that we came here, we stole the land, we became rich, um, they stayed poor, and now they have the right to kill us and take take the land and um that is just so that's such a one-sided view on the history i mean history is is complex and um there were different many ways that afrikaners became farmers where they found vast open lands or they traded to um, buy land from local tribes um there was a lot of different ways and um, now there's just this one belief that no we stole the land and and we should be killed so that they can have the land back and um, that's that's a very dangerous perception and i think that is uh, that's the motivation um behind a lot of these farm attacks is that why that that uh, political party is called the economic freedom fighters? Is it is yes. it's fighting for economic freedom, um, taking back the farms? Is that what that kind of means? Yes, and then they're actually um, socialists. They 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 believe in socialism, but oh, yeah. it's funny because the leader is so rich. He wears Louis Vuitton, and um, <laughs> he's he's benefiting a lot from capitalism. But he um, he's preaching. Socialism and oh yeah, it's very, it's very dangerous. Um, I mean, the social grants that I mentioned earlier, the government grants that fifty percent of the country is dependent on, is also obviously very unsustainable, very dangerous to have. Uh, yeah, it's just unemployment of almost fifty percent and people being dependent on the state, and the state 
do not have money because not uh, not because South Africa doesn't have rich resources, but because the people, the ministers live in absolute luxury, while the people, the normal people in South Africa is crippling in poverty. Yeah, and not enough taxes to cover it probably in the end. No, there's a lot of taxes. <laughs> I don't yeah. even want to get into that. We have very, very high. We're in the top. Okay, high taxes, We're, but not, not uh, much to show for it. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, our income tax, um, you can compare it to first first world countries. Um, it's very, very high. And um, still, you don't see anything but except for the ministers and the president living in absolute luxury, driving this very fancy cars and yeah, yep. just uh, oh, so dear. a lot of taxes, not seeing anything of it, and a lot of um, poverty then. Wow. Okay. It's been really interesting talking with you, Renee. Is there anything more that we need to know or that you you maybe wanted to tell us but we haven't touched on or have we pretty well got our kind of our arms around the situation at this end for you guys? Yes, thank you. So I think I can Maybe just mention if there's anyone um, that feel touched by this conversation and, and want to help in, in some way, I can send you the link. Um, we at After Forum has this campaign um, to safeguard farms. Um, so the website is just www.safeguardfarm.co.za, but I'll send you the link. Um, and uh, then people can contribute and we are helping people to safeguard farms, for example, to give them, um, what do you call it, radios so that they can be in touch right, with yeah. the, the farm watch yeah. and with the neighbors um, when there's no signal, um, all that, that type of stuff to ensure that, that people can be more, uh, can be safer on their farms. Okay, and when does the power come back on? Only um, after 10 o'clock. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, Renee yeah. van der Viva, spokesperson for Afri Forum Youth, proud Africana, speaking to us from South Africa. Thank you for coming on the program, and uh, it was really interesting to hear what you had to say, and good luck, and I hope you, you, know, you stay safe and well. Thank you very much, Paul. Thank you for the opportunity. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.